This production contains material of a sensitive nature, including descriptions of abuse and other forms of violence, which may be triggering for some individuals. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Where do we turn when we don't know where to turn? When the unimaginable occurs, how do we begin to imagine a future for ourselves or those we love? On the 14th of March, 2017, Felicia Marshall's daughter, Lexi B., was stalked and murdered. Out of the ashes of that devastating experience, Felicia has grown a beautiful work of loving, serving, and caring for families with similar experience of trauma and tragedy. This is the story of a mother's love, the story of how a broken heart became a generous heart brimming with compassion for others facing loss and grief. The story of how our deepest, most painful wounds can become gifts of healing and wholeness for the world. This is Grant Me Justice. Welcome back to the Grant Me Justice podcast. I'm Paul Rankin. I'm here with Felicia Marshall, the founder and director of the Grant Me Justice organization. And we're here to talk about Felicia's story and how Grant Me Justice came to be. Um, The Orthodox theologian Katerina Baurova writes that the mother living through a child's death is an inversion of basic reality, since giving birth amounts to a literal giving of space to the other, and experiencing the death of a child involves witnessing and suffering the emptying of that space. It gets at the heart of a lot of what Grant Me Justice exists to do and who Grant Me Justice exists to meet, um, to be with people in that space. Uh, And that work all grew out of your own story, Felicia. And you've written about what it means, what it meant to you to be a mother, and um, to give that space to the other who was Lexi B., Um, You've also written about how painful and wrenching it was to find that literal physical space suddenly horribly empty. Um, Last time we talked about the initial shock of just hearing those words, Ms. Marshall, we regret to inform you. And I wonder if you could bring us into the experience of the aftermath of that immediate shock when the shock begins to wear off and reality begins to set in? Um, There were a lot of um, things going on after Lexi's um, death because she was a victim of a homicide. Uh, Of course, all of that was shown on TV um, and the news media um, never contacted me. And they took what I thought was the worst photo that Lexi had. And that's the photo that was used for days um, in light of her murder. Um, So I found myself initially, you know, before even burying her, because we had to wait uh, for her body to be released by the crime lab. So I found myself fighting, just fighting with, for me as a mother, it just seems like I was fighting for her, fighting for um, her dignity, um, fighting t- 
to me, against everybody. Um, there were um, so-called friends that had posted on Facebook all of their uh, accounts of, of their lives together, good, bad, ugly, whatever it was. Um, the news media was doing their thing. Uh, um, people had begun to post things on Facebook and I had a friend of mine to call and say, do not look at her Facebook page. Mm -hmm. See if you can get it taken down. Mm -hmm. And so I was wrestling with Facebook, wrestling with the uh, news media because someone had called in pretending to be me um, and had given them information. So I was wrestling with that. And so I just found myself wrestling with everybody, um, trying to make sure that she rested in peace. Um, and all of that led up to her actual um, releasing of the body. Once the body was released, um, we were able to, we wanted, we had um, asked for us to be able to see the body in its pre-embalmed state. Because mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to see her, her natural body. Mm -hmm. um, and they obliged. And you know, I, I write in the book, in, in great detail about what that was like. Um, I don't think, I think I was afraid at first to go see the body um, because I had all of these um, views of death and, and I had never faced death in this way where I was the one responsible for taking care of all of the details. I had never buried anyone that was this close because, you know, I lost my grandmother, but her children did that. And so um, it was a lot. And um, so I wrestled with whether or not I even wanted to see the body. And I was torn between my fears and my obligation as a mother to put my big girl bloomers on mm -hmm. and handle the business. Uh, but I finally, uh, you know, I went to go see my baby. And that was, um, you know, I talk about a long ride from the office to the crime scene, but it was also a long ride from um, my house uh, to going and facing this thing that I didn't know what I was going to see. And um, it, was, it was so hard. It was so hard. And I remember crying on the way because I did not know what I was going to, what my eyes would see. And um, I had some friends that actually met me there uh, and walked me through the process. Me and my daughter walked us through the process. And um, I tell in the story, um, uh, in the book, that uh, Lexi B's story is, is just as much Michelle's, my other daughter, story as it is mine because so many things uh, with Lexi we handled together. And this was another thing that we just handled together. We've always made um, decisions um, together in regards to her and her daughter. And, and this was another thing that we just had to do together. And um, um, we sat in this funeral home and it, um, I, I guess for most people, well, I don't know what it feels like for most people, but for me, even the, the decor, the atmosphere made my emotions feel like I was in a sad place. It was just mm -hmm. gloomy. The, furnish, the furnishings 
you know, everything about it just um, had an ambiance to death. Hmm. And um, we were able to, once they told her, told us where she was, my daughter was able to go first. I let her go first. And to watch as a mother, watch another child view the body, um, it was hard. It was hard for me to watch her. And she, she took in every detail. She got really, really close to her body. Mm. It, was, it was as if she was looking for something. And um, she, she went from, the, from her feet all the way up to her head. She, she took in every detail of her body. And um, even now, she doesn't talk about it. Um, I think it's still hard for her to grasp um, Lexi's death, but um, just watching her um, look over the body was, it, it took my breath away. It took my breath away. And so we had one friend that took, almost like at a funeral, I had one friend that took her by, by the arm and took her up to see. And then my friend um, from Pensacola took me <clears throat> to see. And once I looked at the body, I turned around and I said, it's real, ain't it? Mm. It's real. It was like I was waiting to, for that moment to actually see the body for me to even realize or accept that this thing was really happening to me. And then just looking at her body, it was, uh, Lexi has um, dark complexion and um, she had always wrestled with her beauty and how she looked and the fact that she was dark as compared to the rest of us in the family. Um, but she was so beautiful. It was like her skin had a glow. And um, she laid there with one eye open and one closed. Mm. Um, but it was, it took me to my knees to as a mother to be able to um, see a child that uh, had so much potential uh, to be ripped away from us in this way and to be able to um, see it and see her lying there in a, in a black bag. Um, was hard. It was just devastating. Mm. Um, I felt like a train had hit me mm. um, because I, I had so many um, desires and expectations for her and just to see her laying in that bag. Um, I never unzipped the bag. I don't know why. I never unzip the bag. Um, I don't know if I, I do know why. I, I did not want that to be my last vision in my head of her. I wanted to remember her uh, as beautiful as she was. Um, and I didn't want to see the wound. I didn't want the wound to be the last memory of her. So much in that. Um, I know that's a hard thing to talk about yeah. at any distance. Um, used a couple of 
phrases that I think we use casually um, and figuratively sometimes. You said, it took my breath away. It brought me to my knees. I think you mean literally. I do. Yeah. And I'm going to use another one when I say it's unimaginable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, again, we, can't, we throw that around. I can't even imagine, but it's literally unimaginable. You have to be in it and live it to mm-hmm. experience it. Um, I've heard people say um, it's a wail. It's not a cry. It's not a weep. It's a wail. And a wail comes from a different place um, from my experience um, than a weep or a cry. It comes a place of pain that you know, have you haven't experienced before? You don't know how to put words to it, mm. um, and you don't know how you're gonna make it through it. Mm. And um, and I always tell people, there's nothing like the wail of a mother. Mm. If you've ever been to a crime scene and you see, I don't care who it is, if you see a mother walk up on the crime scene and you hear. Um, what people call a scream. This is a this is a wailing, and it's of a pain that is hard to bear. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to bear. And um, we were the only family there at that particular time um, visiting a body, and we were in a closed room. Um, but my daughter and I, well, you know, we embraced one another. And um, because, you know, we, we were all that we've had from day one. And, you know, I, have, I didn't write this part in the book, but there were no men there with us. Mm-hmm. Um, just women um, having to bear this huge burden alone. And um, I, I, I can't explain why, but um, looking back over it, um, there should have been someone there with us, um, some men. I think there should have been some men there with us. Um, but um, we were left to to bear this incredibly um, huge, devastating loss alone. We viewed the body alone. We made the decisions alone. And um, I don't think that it's uncommon for black, black mothers to have to do this, but that doesn't make it right. Um, so we, we had to do it all by ourselves. And, and then once we finished wailing and weeping and laying on the floor and being, and being comforted by our friends, we had to dry our faces up, go in a room, and talk about last-minute decisions, mm-hmm. last, you know, end-of-life decisions, like pick out a casket and do all of those things. And um, it was an incredibly difficult time. Yeah, yeah so there's so many layers. Uh, one, just as you tell all that as you take us through all that um, a couple of things that come up is you know I I started with that quote from um, you know about 
it being an inversion of basic reality, how, un how unnatural it is. Um, even in the natural course of things, we expect at some point to bury our parents and, and having to, that can be unbearable and unimaginable to many of us because uh, we want, we kind of live in a death denying culture in, a, in many ways, despite the fact that it's all around us. Um, so having to do that for a child is beyond unthinkable. Um, and, and then the added weight of just the ordinary details as you're describing logistics mm -hmm. of, okay, now we have to, we're going we're gonna to talk about this in a moment, having to make arrangements and just select a casket and pick clothes and all those things that are just agonizing in the, even in the, I guess there are no good circumstances, but the best circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the third layer, and I think this gets, again, into the heart of what Grant Me Justice exists to do, um, as I understand it, is you have, um, in the case of a murder and a violent death, you have this sensational aspect where the media wants to be involved and social media and the, there's this public nature of it. Um, and my sense is that what we want and need when we're in deep grief is just to get down in the ashes and sit with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think about the the beginning of the book of Job, not, not the end when his friends start talking, but there's that period of time when they gather around him and they just sit with him. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful, um, a beautiful picture of how to be present for people in grief. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, but you didn't have the opportunity to do that. And what came, the phrase that keeps coming up in my mind as I listen to you tell that part is, um, when you, you said, I, I was wrestling, I was fighting, I was battling. And the question of who gets to control the narrative? Mm. Right, that's the phrase that comes up. And um, I think one of, the, one of the beautiful and vital aspects of Grant Me Justice work is helping families to take control of the narrative. And to, and to maintain it. And so I'd like to circle back to that because you went through this without the benefit of Grant Me Justice, right? It's born because you, were so, you felt so alone. You've described that again. We, we talked about it, and I'll repeat, that, that feeling of being, like you said, there's a sea of dark umbrellas and you're a red umbrella, and it's just standing out in, in isolation. Um, so I... I guess uh, the question is maybe two or threefold, but one would just be, what did it, what did it look like? What did it feel like for you to um, fight, you know, Facebook and the local media and, and just even the public perception? You said, for example, um, and I can vouch for this, Lexi B was beautiful. She was a beautiful human being. She didn't see it, and that's part of the tragedy of this story. Um, but the picture that, that was on Facebook was, or, or on the news, I think you said, was one of the worst pictures they could have chosen. So just, can you talk a little bit more about what, what it was like for you to kind of wrestle back control of that narrative? Well, um, I knew Lexi was much more than that photo mm -hmm. um, that was shown. And I knew that she was much more than what social media saw. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I knew the backstory, mm -hmm. and I wanted people to see who she really was. Um, and it was a struggle, even even so much so that I had to just turn the TV off because they still didn't take they wouldn't take the photo down that they had. Mm. Um, they still wouldn't acknowledge me as her legal guardian, mm. her next of kin. Um, and so I, I just I just gave up. And with Facebook, it was the same way. I just gave up um, because I had bigger things that were on my plate um, to handle. And um, and again, you know, I was standing firm that you know the Lord would avenge her and me. And um, after fighting for so long, um, I just gave up. I just said, you know, I have something else to do. Mm. And it was like, you know, you move from one, um, you get an initial call of shock, and you move from one layer of this thing to another. Mm. So you get the initial shock and initial call and going to the crime scene, going back home. Then you, you look at all of the other aspects of death, going to view a body, you deal with family, you know, people visiting your house, people saying things that are true and some that are not. Uh, dealing with um, um, people that you know don't mean well, mm. um, that are, that are um, people that are hugging you and you know that they don't mean you well. Mm. You know, people are coming to your house and you know that they're not coming to console or offer encouraging words they're just there to just try to figure out what's happening and so to moving from that and then there's um the body that's being released you go there and you deal with the emotions of that and then you leave there and then you have to go buy clothes and then you leave there and then it's just a one roller coaster after another uh, you get a breather in between and then you still have to move on to the next um, layer of a homicide, mm. and and those roller coaster rides were off and on from the, the day from March 17 all the way three years later mm. uh, to the last uh, plea deal. And um, I did one of the reasons why Grant Me Justice is what it is is because I did not want another family to experience this tragedy alone. I was by myself, you know, I felt like mm -hmm. um, nobody could understand me as a mother. Um, nobody um, stood up for me. Nobody um, asked my opinion about any aspect of it and no one seemed to care. I did not want another family to feel that alone. And so, um, and then I wanted people to know who she was, for real, for real. I wanted people to know that she wasn't that person that was sitting on the, on the uh, screen of the TV like this, that was Alexi. Uh, and I wanted them to know the Lexi B that I knew, the beautiful girl that I knew. And um, so, uh, you know, the organization was for that reason. 
And uh, God has done some amazing things through, through that situation. You kind of already began to answer this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I think it might lead to some other elaboration, which is how has, how has that struggle, and even you said you kind of came to a point where I just gave up. Uh, in some places, you didn't. Obviously, you didn't give up the... What's a, you, you, gave, you didn't give up the war, but you gave up certain battles, mm. right? And, uh, and so my, my question is, how has, how, how has that experience in, of really wrestling, fighting, to con- not, and control is maybe not the right word, just determine who gets to, who gets to tell her story and how. Mm. How has that informed what you do with Grant Me Justice? Um, you, you, again, I want to acknowledge, you did begin to, to say something about that, but I wonder if you have any... If there's anything more. Um. Well, one of the things, you know, initially, and I've said this before, that we just wanted to get the stories told <clears throat> because, you know, the media and people mm-hmm. have a tendency to say who our children are. Yeah. And so one of the reasons why doing the stories was for people to know our children, who they are to us. Mm-hmm. We birthed them, we reared them, and we wanted them to know who this person was outside mm-hmm. of our house, you know. Um, so we, we, the desire for Grant Me Justice was um, to tell the story of, for instance, um, Tomas, Ms. Abram's son. Um, the dad and the mom knew Tomas from at the house. Mm-hmm. The public may know them from the public's eye, mm-hmm. but we know them at the house. And so the desire for Grant Me Justice was, is to let people know who the kids are at the house. Yeah, those characterizations that the media presents are often more like caricatures mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and they try to tidy up the narrative, mm-hmm. um, in my experience. And, and um, I think that's one of the beautiful things is the Grant Me Justice has done and continues to do is complicate those narratives. Um, and let me just say this yeah. too. Um, there are some instances with with um, some of the homicides that are not good situations. And a lot of times the public will say, well, they deserve whatever they got. Mm. And um, But from Grammy Justice's perspective, regardless of who the person is, there's a family that's tied to the person. Mm -hmm. And we don't stop loving them. Um, Whatever their situation is, they're still our children. Mm -hmm. And they still matter. Um, And so one of the things that Grammy Justice is, we we don't care about what the public thinks about them. We want them to know who they are to us as our children. And um, we're not we don't accept families based on whether or not the situation was a good situation or a bad situation. There's a family attached to them. And so our desire is to just love those families well because there's still a loss. A loss is still a loss. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember if I've said this in a previous episode, but um, one thing we, we really like to do is divide the world up into the good guys and bad guys, the sinners and saints. Um, I, I, the... the quote that I come back to again and again is Alexander Solzhenitsyn who talks about the line between good and evil running down the center of every human heart. Um, 
And one thing that, you know, just telling the whole part of, the whole of somebody's story mm. instead of just one part mm -hmm. allows us to see that. Mm. Um, and one of the beautiful things you, at least you point to, you don't get into it in great detail in your book, but you point to it as how you began to feel uh, sympathy and empathy for the mothers and the families, even of uh, the accused, the, mm -hmm. the, the people who had, the murderers, and, um, and that's, that's a really, that's where the mercy comes in mm -hmm. to your story, or one of, the, one of the many places where the mercy breaks in. I want to talk um, about, so you've talked about identifying the body, and you said, you, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, you didn't want to see the, the, the wound to be the last thing you saw. And, and in, the, in the book, you, you make this connection, um, which I'd like for you to say something about if you're willing, um, which is, you know, the, the bullet was, was fired from an AK-47 assault style rifle, um, and it eventually pa it passed her arm initially, but it eventually lodged in her heart. Uh, and you make this connection, you, you say that was, you know, she was born with a heart, heart condition. defect, heart condition, mm -hmm. and uh, she died of one. And um, would you say something about the kind of connection there between that story of her birth and how the struggle you went through to repair her heart? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Lexi was born with um, her heart was um, beating three times normal. Mm -hmm. And she was um, this beautiful, healthy baby where it looked like she was healthy. And you go into the NIC, NIC unit and there are you know, all of these babies um, with all of the tubes. And, uh, and, and she was just laying there as if she was out of place. And, um, but the doctors assured us that you know, she was really, really sick. Her heart was beating really, really fast. So much so that it was um, deteriorating, and um, but the condition that Lexi had uh, is a, is the the is a tachycardia. Um, no no one in the state of Mississippi at that time had seen that in a child, and no one um, here was able to treat her. So they had to fly her to South Carolina to have the surgery. She went to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, for surgery. And uh, I tell a little bit about this book, I mean, about this in the book and the fact that um, there were a lot of uh, issues. Uh, we, we, we weren't financially able to afford to, to go there. Um, uh, it was just a lot of things going on and, and, and a lot of details that I give in the book about um, Delta Airlines and their care for us. Uh, with Lexi going over and the doctors um, talking to me over the phone during the surgery and and all of that, but um, yeah, she had to. She was she was in the NIC unit for five weeks, um, and then we were able to bring her home. Um, I had to eventually fly uh, to South Carolina to pick her up. I didn't know that on the front end. Uh, but they wouldn't fly her back. She went over on a helicopter, but they would not fly her back because um, she was no longer considered urgently sick. 
And so that meant that somebody had to go and get her and that somebody was me. And um, I flew to Charleston, South Carolina, Delta Airlines took very good care of me. And um, once I made it to Charleston, it was just a beautiful place. Um, and I talk about in the book um, that I think I needed Charleston, South Carolina. And um, getting there and viewing the city, um, seeing all of the beautiful um, buildings and architectural details of the city. Um, just, I needed that at the time that I went and um, got there. They had her adorned in this pink, you know, her skin was, is an ebony dark color and then she was adorned in a pink dress um, from, from her neck down and sitting in a, uh, in a swing, swinging her little self away. And, um, and then I asked if I could take her out of the swing. But then when I got ready to take her out of the swing, I noticed that she had wires from every direction. And I also noticed that she had an incision um, from, her, from her thorax all the way down to her belly button. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had her heart in my hands. Mm -hmm. And I had the sole responsibility of keeping all of that intact. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was scary. It was really scary um, just to see all of the wires that were attached to her heart. and. And I couldn't imagine how I was going to be able to handle and take care of all of that. And it looked scary. The, the wound looked scary. As if, you know, if I made one wrong move that I would tear something up. And we were talking about her heart, you know. Wasn't talking about, you know, just a simple incision. This, this was a heart. And so I stayed in Charleston for a couple of days and then uh, flew back home and I had care. You know, they gave me assistance all the way home. Um, but once I got home, then it was my responsibility to take care of her. Um, all of the um, wires and um, making sure it was cleaned several times a day making sure the bandages were clean. Um, and I don't know, um, once, you know, Lexi was never a kid that was just, you know, sitting around not doing anything. She was always busy. She was very, very smart to the point where she got to the, where she would start taking the wires off. Mm -hmm. We ended up having to put the wires on her back, tape them down her legs. Um, just to keep the wires intact. But yeah, uh, we, we, it was a lot trying to make sure that um, we took care of her heart and just to know that um, that was the way that she left here was yeah. to a heart. Yeah. Hey, that, I think a couple of things I'd like to say in response to that. One, I think that brings you, the, the sort of complexity of just that episode you know the just all the fear and, and the intensity of having a, a child who's in danger a, a, a newborn who's in danger and needing this emergency surgery and being flown mm -hmm. you know to another state uh, and all the care you received and, and so and then going to Charleston and feeling the sense of peace that that was in this beautiful place and the book is like that I just want to make this plug mm -hmm. it's a hard tragic story but there there's all this beauty and and um and 
mercy and light in the story as well. So um, another thing that I just I think is worth noting is you know when we when I said unimaginable, I meant that literally. Uh, it's 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 impossible to imagine what it would be like to, for those of us who um, I guess haven't had to experience it to to imagine what it's like to lose a child the way you have. But I think almost all of us can imagine what it's like to have somebody we care about who's gravely ill and, and needs that kind of assistance. So I think that um, it's just another aspect of helping us to see, helping to humanize and tell the whole story of, of who Lexi was. And she didn't um, then grow up delicate and fragile, right? Uh -huh. She was a rough and tumble athlete uh -huh. and dancer and, and did all these things. So, um, so the heart was in that repaired and, and fully restored and strong uh -huh. and, and uh, the, the literal heart. And then she had a big heart for people too. Uh -huh. She cared for people as you, as you um, make clear throughout the story. Um, one of the other, one, another aspect of kind of the aftermath that I just wanted to invite you to tell about is um, go into the difficulty of deciding, selecting the clothes you, you were gonna she was going to wear, you were going to bury her in. Um, would, you, would you tell us a little bit about that or talk through that story? Um, um, I didn't, um, well, prior to getting to that part, um, I, when I went to choose the clothing, I wanted to make sure that the clothing were representative of her mm -hmm. and not me. You know, we have a tendency, or I've seen, times when people bury people and things that they want them to have on. Mm. Well, that wasn't the case for me. I wanted it to be as natural Lexi B as it could have been. And so there was a wrestling with that because I wanted to make sure that I cared for her well in that. I wanted her hair to be just the way that it was. Um, she rarely wore makeup, so I asked them not to put makeup on her. And so when we went to go choose the clothing, that was a hard day because everybody else were just, this was just a normal Saturday for people to be out shopping and our girlfriends together hanging out, shopping, people in the stores not thinking anything of it, music playing, you know, a happy music playing. And here I was um, shopping for clothes for the last thing that she would wear. Um, that was what I was there for. And I felt alone again. I felt alone that nobody, why nobody knew, you know? Why didn't nobody understand? Why didn't anyone understand that I had lost? I mean, I, I guess the expectation was for them to be able to see mm -hmm. that I had lost her and um, or be able to understand it. So there were times when I had to just walk away as I cried um, and wiped tears away um, trying to figure this thing out, you know. Um, and every detail, you know, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't, Lexi wasn't into pastel colors. So we knew that was not out. She wasn't one that would wear dresses all the time. So we knew that was out. And so we wanted to find something that was, was um, you know, her personality. And uh, so, so picking out clothes wasn't easy. You pick up, pick up a shirt like, nah, I don't think that would work. And 
and uh, it was it was hard and uh, we ended up picking out just a plain white um, shirt that had buttons right at the top and some um, black slacks is what we ended up um, choosing for her that would have been representative of who she was. Um, we also, um, because Lexi had a daughter, her daughter was three years old when she when she died, we bought matching necklaces for her. And the, the idea behind that was that one day we wanted to be able to um, tell her the story because we, we didn't think at three years old that she would she was understanding what was going on. And we didn't, we wanted to protect her in the midst of all of the chaos that was going on around. We didn't want her to be the ob object of everybody mm. else's uh, misplaced grief. Mm. And um, so we wanted to protect her, but we wanted to also honor her. And um, so at the funeral, we chose a color that was Sugar's, that's her baby daughter's name, we call her Sugar. Um, we wanted to choose a color that Sugar loved, which was purple. So we all represented her in purple, but we did not allow her to attend the funeral. Um, and so I tell the story that, you know, uh, we, we, it was just like a regular day for her. She, did, she didn't know what was going on. We took her to school mm -hmm. just like we normally would have. And um, we went and had the funeral. Yeah. Mm. So just as a way into maybe getting, giving us even a, a deeper glimpse of who Lexi was, um, you said that the clothes you chose, a simple white shirt and black slacks, um, you said that represented who she was. Um, what do you mean by that? How does that represent who she was? Um, from fifth grade, Lexi had some issues with um, sexual identity. And um, it started um, when she was in the fifth grade. And um, at that particular time in my life, I was super religious um, and had some super religious uh, beliefs. Um, I felt like whatever this thing was, that it could be prayed away, we could pray away it. Mm -hmm. And so we prayed over it and uh, we took her to pastors and they prayed over it. Uh, we went to uh, counselors and they prayed over it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a battle for her. It was um, one that she wrestled with until the day that she died. So um, it started in fifth grade when I got a call at the school that either someone touched her or she touched somebody. And um, I mean, this is fifth grade. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I wanted to, whatever it was going on, whether it was her or someone else. Another female. Another female. Um, I wanted the school, oh, I thought it would have been a good idea for the school to bring somebody in so that they can talk to the kids about their sexual identity and all that good stuff. But of course that, that didn't work. And so I ended up withdrawing her out of school and enrolling her in another school. Um, but her, her um, struggle with it um, started at fifth grade and uh, like I said, to the day that she died. So she had periods where uh, it appeared that she had um, made it through and um, she would, sometimes she would be more masculine dressed 
And then there were times when she was more female dressed. It all, all depended. If she was around me, um, and she, she, she really, 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 um, I think, wanted to honor me and please me. I think I, as a Christian, I had a difficult time of knowing how to love her well through this thing. And I talk about that in the book uh, about um, what so many times we, we have these levels of sin. And this thing right here was a thing that God could not forgive. And I think I loved her in that way. And I, and I also talk about the fact that I think I could have done a better job with not just only her, but with Evelyn too. Um, and, and representing the true gospel and what the gospel does. And it wasn't that I didn't desire to, uh, because um, I, I did seek counsel on, on, on how to deal with this, this mm -hmm. thing, but I did not want to appear that I was accepting it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to be able to love her through it, but I didn't want her to think that I was accepting it mm -hmm. um, as it was. Yeah. So part of my struggle was that I did not want um, to dress Lexi in a more feminine way if that's not who she was on a regular day. Mm -hmm. I wanted to dress her like she was on a regular day. Yeah, mm. yeah it, it seems, it's moving to me that with all of your struggles the, and, the, and, and, and how difficult that w was for you to navigate as a mother, um, and even it, you know, kind of the evolving landscape of your, you, you, you use the past tense that was super religious. I believe it would be fair to say you're super religious now, but that's changed, the shape of that and the, 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 the nature of that has changed over time. And, and we can, but, but even just to honor her in the end and not to, to try to impose, um, yeah, I think in the past it was more work righteousness mm -hmm. and that there's this list of things that you do and this is how your salvation works. But over the years, I've learned that that's not yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but I think that it, from her life and her death and my experience with her, and mothering her. And, and I think that was one of the reasons why it was so important in the book for me to tell my story. I think it was important for, um, in the book, to let people know where I was mothering from and yeah. where they came from and um, how that evolved mm -hmm. um, throughout her life. Yeah. And um, I think I meant well in, in mm -hmm and my care for them at that time. And then at the same time, I think I mothered them from the space that we were in at the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I wanted her to be as natural as she would have been. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are some uh, places in the book where we talk about, you know, her shopping for, for clothes and mm -hmm. um, Lexi would have periods <laughs> where she would, what I call go off and live her best life now and then <laughs> she would come home. And um, most of the time when she would come home, she wouldn't have clothes. And, and I talk about this one instance when she came home and we had to go and buy our clothes. And, and um, she was asking me what to buy. I was like, you, you choose whatever you want to buy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to go on this side of the store and you have the freedom to buy and wear what you want. You're not going to wear what I want. So, yeah. um, 
Um, and that was one of the last times that we had, you know, with her purchasing her clothes. And at that particular time, she bought collared shirts mm -hmm. and uh, mostly khaki shorts and pants. So uh, I felt like our choosing the clothes this time was kind of symbolic of that. Yeah. And just to note, and I don't know if you want to elaborate on this, but just from knowing what I know from the book and working through that, um, toward the end, it wasn't so much the, the fact that she was in a relationship with another woman, but that it was a violent, abusive, unhealthy relationship that was destructive to her. Uh, yes. Uh, initially, I think it was, of course, um, I, I did not want her to be in a same-sex relationship. Mm -hmm. I wanted her to, like you know, most people that have daughters, want them to be married, have grandchildren, all that. And so that was my desire for her. But throughout their, their relationship, I learned that it was an abusive, violently abusive relationship. And not only that, I felt like um, Lexi was being held back from being mm -hmm. self-sufficient. And I wanted her to be able to um, have things, have her own place to stay, roof mm -hmm. over her head, clothes on her back, be able to go to the store and choose whatever she wanted to choose. Um, not be kicked out and thrown out by people. And so on that end part of that, um, I didn't care who she was with as long as she was safe. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't safe. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll come to kind of conclusion of this, this part with maybe one more question that'll have probably some follow-up, which is, um, so we've talked about all the different layers of this thing you know you have you know with any uh, death in the family you're going to have the painful logistics like funeral arrangements and things and then you're going to have uh, in in this case it's violent in public so you're going to have to navigate the media and the attention and and all that and the the aspect of that that we hadn't really gotten into which we'll come to later is just the criminal system criminal justice system the legal system um and then the, the fourth thing was just the kind of gatherings with family and remembrances. And um, you, you describe that in the book. You describe um, being there, but also kind of feeling detached um, from it. Something that is kind of a recurrent theme is, uh, you know, you were in the department store shopping for clothes and you thought people would be able to see that that this tragedy had entered your life, but they couldn't. But mm -hmm. you could see them, and they're all just having a normal mm -hmm. Saturday at the mall. Mm -hmm. um, and you describe putting on a pair of shades. And I, I, as I read it, the, you know, we, as we worked through it, I, I, rem, I remember thinking it reminded me a lot of, um, there's kind of a trope in science fiction fantasy um, even in mythology, where there's something called the hagstone, but like the, where, where somebody gets a pair of glasses or sunglasses or something that goes over their eyes that allows them to see a deeper level of reality or, or some unseen realm. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so somebody puts on a pair of glasses and they can tell who are the aliens and who are the mm -hmm. you know, authentic earthlings. You know? and, and so you kind of put on these shades and the way you describe it almost takes on that kind of mystical or magical realm. Like you have this ability to see everything that's going on um, 
I'm saying it, and I'm, I'm, I really want you to say it. So, uh, so can you tell me about the glasses and what that was like to just be, be present as people were gathering? Um, yeah, there are two instances in the book that I talk about um, the shade experience, and one of them um, is was during the um, time after Lexis, uh, after we found out Lexis had passed away. The day following that, you know, we, there's always people that gather at the house, and and um, so I wore a pair of shades because um, number one, I had cried so, and I didn't want to, or at least in my mind, I didn't want people to to see my swollen eyes, and um, but as I was wearing the shades. I noticed that people couldn't see my eyes, but I could see everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so I took in every aspect of what was going on in my yard. There were um, saints in the centers. Mm -hmm. uh, the saints were in one part and the centers were in another. Um, I, I saw everybody that drove in, everybody that got out. I recognized who who gave me a hug and who did not. I I, I saw every road I, I I I heard conversations that and saw interactions that I I don't think people knew that I saw and heard. Um, and it was a sad it was sad for me. Um, almost. You're already dealing with the fact, I was already dealing with the fact that I had lost Lexi. And I didn't think anyone else had a higher stake than me. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I wanted a hug from everybody. But from my perspective, if you're visiting someone's home, because they've lost a loved one, seems like to me you would find the person that had lost a loved one and have some type of interaction with them. And it wasn't that it wasn't the case. And you know, I know that um, you know they say that um, you want to see how dysfunctional a family is. You fool around and let somebody die, mm. and um, just to see all of the different. Um, plays that was happening in my yard was, it saddened me. Um, I can say that I walked away from Lexi's death knowing who my f true friends are, mm. um, knowing who, who was authentically uh, remorseful and sorry for me. Um, and then I knew, I walked away knowing who my enemies are. Um, just by looking from behind the shade. Hmm. So you mentioned that there were two instances in the book. Do you want to talk about the other? Uh, the second um, instance um, the book was my mom. Uh, my mom and I, um, I don't think I had forgiven mama for all of the things that occurred in my life. So we kind of had a struggle, uh, kind of a strained relationship, very respectful relationship. I loved her and, she, and I knew she loved me. Um, but there were times when 
Uh, mama would really give me a hard time. And mama didn't believe that someone had molested me. Hmm. And so that always caused a division in our relationship is because mama didn't, she didn't believe it. And um, so one, of, one day I was, you know, one of the things that I inherited was her box of shades. Mama wore sunglasses, what she called shades. She, she wore them all the time. Uh, from the time she woke up in the morning to the time she laid down, she always had shades on. She said it was the doctor's orders, but we, I don't think that was the case. But anyway, she wore shades, and she had some really nice uh, shades. So one day I was deciding that I was going to ride and wear a pair of mama shades, and, uh, which I don't even normally wear shades. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like the Lord gave me a vision into her life. And uh, I write about it in detail in the book about what it must have felt like to be her and what it must have felt like to have to leave a child behind, how it must have felt like to wake up in the morning and have bruises on her eyes and ribs sore, uh, what it must have felt like not to be able to uh, care for your children, uh, what it must have felt like to have to be in relationships just to have light bill money. And I go into great detail about that. and. Um, and I'm grateful for that because it gave me a different respect for who she was. Uh, and I think so many times we can look at a situation from one perspective and we can walk away with it with our own value to it. Mm. And I think I had walked away with this, from the situation with a lesser value than it had. Mm. But from the perspective that I was looking from behind those shades, God just gave me a peep into her life and what mama must have had to endure just to hold on to us. And um, I walked away from that change, you know, and I, and I say in the book, I don't think I'm half the woman that she, mama was. I'll say another plug for the book that that, it's a, it's a kind of an extended paragraph where you take us into that vision, as you call it here. Uh, and it's one of the most powerful pieces of writing in the book and, and that I've read in a long time. It's mm -hmm. worth the book just to just to read that section. Um, and another thing about it, just to kind of draw this to a close, is you, you describe going to the morgue to identify the body and how there were no men there. And it's really a book about this kind of, these generations of women. So your relationship with your mother uh, it really informs a lot of how you interact with, engage with Lexi and of course, um, you were a mother to Lexi, and and um, with all the struggles that come come with that, ordinarily, and then this dealing with the tragedy at the end of her life, and Lexi had a daughter, Sugar, who's uh, you know, you're you along with you know mm -hmm. Lexi's sister are now responsible for raising, and and uh, so that's that's a thread that runs through the book, and and. Uh, with, with, I'd say, the notable exception of your grandfather, um, there aren't really any prominent men in the story. Um, but one of the most striking and remarkable figures, we've talked about this, joking but not joking, who, who really deserves her own full book, is, uh, is your grandmother, Ethel Jackson. Uh -huh. And we're going to get into that in the next episode, uh, just a little bit more about her story. So I'll pause there. Um, Unless there, is there anything you want to add about just kind of the aftermath? Because you kind of, there's a chapter in the book where you kind of cover that and then 
you land with a paragraph where you ask a series of rhetorical questions if memory serves, and you're basically asking, you know, how did I get here? What about my history? Um, brought a, what about our history collectively as a family brought us to this uh-huh. point, this juncture? Um, and so kind of beginning to trace those causes, you go deeper into the past and, and recount some of that in a way that's moving, sometimes entertaining, funny, sad, and heartbreaking, and all the things. Um, is there anything you want to say in closing, or, or as we kind of will transition to that in the next episode? I want to say this, not to make an excuse for the men not being there, but I also want to um, make mention that uh, we are alpha females, and um, um, we have a tendency to handle stuff, you know, just to get stuff da- done. And sometimes I think that's to our detriment where sometimes men don't think they're needed. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, and it may have been the case here. Um, and again, I'm not making excuses, but I do want to acknowledge the fact that we are some strong um, black women. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't ask many times for help, we just get it done. And so it's been the case since day one. I don't think I have anything to add to that. Join (laughs) us next time and we'll get into uh, some of the story of the fabric of family that uh, informs some of the rest of this. Thank you for joining us. Today's podcast was brought to you by Genesis Bank, whose mission is to provide thoughtful financial advice and helpful financial solutions to every customer they serve. To learn more, visit them on the web at genesis.bank.